just a minute before I start on what's actually today's message. I was thinking about sermons, sermons, lots and lots of sermons, every week a sermon, almost every week a sermon, and that it's so much to try to take in. I mean, for me, just a study, it's so much to try to take in. And then the thought of not losing any of it. It's like, okay, God, you know, you, you divinely brought that thing and, and I don't want to lose any of it. But in honesty, I don't think every word of the message gets sewn in or you need to worry about that. That, that God sows into us what's appropriate for us at any moment. And whether we even recognize it, what's happening is as his word, as we're exposed to his word, it does its work. And we don't have to understand how it's doing its work. And we don't have to feel like, uh-oh, it's not doing its work because I don't remember what all the verses are. It does its work just because it can. Okay? And this Sermon on the Mount has been so interesting for me because always in the past, I've just read my Bible and prayed and something would stir me and whatever that something is, you know, God would just, whether it was a false start or, or not, eventually I'd get to the right place and I'd, I'd have inspiration. But when when... He told me to start at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and don't finish until you get to the end of Matthew chapter 7. It's different because now we're at this particular set of verses. And, and sometimes I, I can't figure out where to stop and where to start because it's not like all these disparate thoughts. There's these threads that are just running through the whole thing. And where's the right place to start and where's the right place to stop? And am, am I going to miss a connection if I do this or, or I don't do it that way? And it forces me to study in a way I've never studied before because I might not be inspired by Matthew 6, you know, whatever, through whatever else, but because he told me to preach it, I have to learn it, and it has to, it has to speak to me so I can speak it. And, and that's just, I see so many different things in the way, like if you, if you look at your life, you know, in any minute you can't see the forest for the trees, but if you stop and take a breath, you can see God's hand on your life. This thing in India is just its just this little clay thing, this vessel of clay. God just putting a little bit another squeeze and shape into it when we go to India. He did it in Africa. He'll do it this morning. He did it yesterday. It's all this preparation for, I don't know, maybe it's for eternity so we can rule and reign with him. Yeah. Okay, so I wrestled with this one a lot. There's a set of scriptures in here that... that I kind of think I get, but I'm not terribly confident, and I'll share that with you when we get there. And I struggled with the whole, um, like if I was writing this set of scriptures, it's Matthew 6, 16 through 24, I would have put them in different order, because the way my mind works, it just works better if they were in a different order. But, but God didn't put them in a different order. He put them in the order he did. So I'm going to speak to them in the order he did. And in the process of putting this thing together, I felt like I was back in the forest and couldn't see the trees, all these diff- different thoughts and scriptures and things coming together that I wasn't sure I was able to see the picture that God was painting with the scriptures. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these scriptures, I'm going to speak to these scriptures, and then I'm going to read them again as if I hadn't spoken to them and try to start to learn to let the Holy Spirit speak through me so that it, if, it, if it doesn't make sense because I just didn't do a good job or whatever, God will tie it up at the end, Okay. All right, Matthew 6, 16 through 24. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, 
when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Man, let me just stop. That's what happens when we grasp those thoughts that don't come from heaven. It's illuminating our hearts, our inside with darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Okay, so the first part of this, if you know, I'm, I'm a little chunk guy, learning to be a, a big chunk guy. The first part is about fasting, and, and, and it speaks to reward. And Jesus, in this sermon, has spoken about reward. He actually uses the word reward a bunch, but he also uses other words like blessed. If you just start in, in 5, like verse 2, and, and you start looking at the Beatitudes, you see blessed, 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 blessed. Blessed are the merciful, because they shall receive mercy. It's about blessing. And then he starts to talk about reward. And even in the forgiveness scriptures, it's about reward. The reward is forgiveness, right? If you forgive others, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven won't forgive you. So there's a, there's a cause and an effect that brings a reward. And the reward with, with regard to forgiveness is forgiveness, just like with mercy. The reward for mercy is mercy, so all these instances, there's, let's see, um, two kinds of rewards that he speaks to, the rewards from God and the rewards from men, right? You can fast before men. And what, the, what they used to do back then, the, the religious people, is they'd, they'd put ashes on their forehead and they'd be, oh, I'm fasting for God. I just, I just really am so devoted to God. And people say, oh, look at you. How long have you been fasting? Oh, I've been fasting. I didn't have any breakfast today. Oh, you know. I don't know how long they fast. It's probably a long time. I mean, in, in the scripture, one guy says he fasts twice a week. You know, I'm not like those other guys. I fast twice a week, right? What Jesus is saying is that people... Will, will reward you for that. They'll tell you how wonderful you are. And you will have received your blessing. That's it. There's no eternal blessing when you seek the blessing of men. Now, somebody might figure out your fasting. And they might ask you the question, bless you. And, um, and you can answer the question. You can't like say, oh, you know, I, I'm not fasting. You know, it's okay. It's the motive of what you're doing. If your motive is to be rewarded, blessed, honored by men, then... That's okay. You get to have that if you want it, but then you don't get to have one from your Father in heaven. Okay? So there's... there's um, pardon me while I just hug my whoopee a minute. Three kinds or criteria, I guess, so far that we see in the Sermon on the Mount for reward. The first is being persecuted because of Jesus. Jesus says that your reward is great in heaven if you're persecuted here because of him. So one way that we get rewarded is that we maintain our testimony of Jesus in the face of persecution, God is so blessed by that, he rewards us. The second way is by loving our enemies, right? He says, 
uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he says that there's a reward for us if we do that. And then the third way that he's shown us so far is that if we should choose to seek not the reward, the adulation of men, but the reward of God, that he will reward us. And the three examples he gives us are first, in doing your righteousness. Second is when you pray. And the third is when you fast. So his people, when, when we exercise righteousness, and the, the sub-example he gives there is like when you give money to the poor, when you go to help a poor person, if you do it so that men are going to see you, you've gotten your reward in full. But if you do that, your righteousness, and that's the way he defines it in that particular context, secretly, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, then you've stored up some reward for yourself in heaven. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites do. They stand out on the street corner and they they make themselves to look so spiritual that men will adore them for their prayers. It's okay to pray in public. It's good to pray together, out loud prayer. We, We magnify when we're together. But if the motive is for somebody to say, wow, you know, I spent all night long figuring out the right words to say so that you'd be really impressed with my prayer. When they say, boy, you're done. That's it. No more reward. And then the last one was fasting. When you fast, don't put on a gloomy face. Put on a happy face. You know, they probably didn't have like skin cream, but they had oil. You know, rub a little oil so you look nice and fresh. And then just go about your day. And your father who sees what you're doing in secret will reward you. Is it okay to seek reward? Heck yeah. He's got a carrot and he's got a stick. If he puts a carrot out there, it's okay to chase it and, 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 and get the carrot, right? Get that reward because he uses it as a tool. I want every blessing that God has for me, all of them. And, and if he, I mean, I want all of them. I guess, you know, maybe there's no extra than all of them, but if there's extra, I'll take those too. Like the guy that said, give me your Bible. If you don't read it, I'll read it for you, you know? That was a dory trail. This is where it's tricky for me because it's almost like he's, he changes thoughts, but it's not. It's still one thought. If you move on to verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's just, it's just like the rewards. It's, it's earthly or heavenly. And the, the word today about trust. See, you will hoard earthly treasures to the point you don't trust God. The more you surrender trust to the Lord, the less you will hoard earthly treasures. I can't wait for next week because next week is where he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he talks before that about all these things that we got to have. In Michigan, we will freeze to death without clothes on our back. We'll starve to death without food to eat, without a roof over our head. All these things that we need. So we put our trust sometimes in General Motors or Hewlett Packard or who, you know, whoever might be your employer or, or our brain, you know, because we're smart and we can be a, get, get money for, you know, sharing what we have in wisdom and, and uh, intelligence. But honestly, he's saying, that's wonderful. All those things you have because I gave them to you. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. You, church, are responsible for this. I, God, am responsible for everything that you need. So as we release fear, as we embrace trust, then we get to this place where the things that we seek after are heavenly. Heavenly. 
Uh, that's what I'm trying to think of the connection to the heart. So, so that ultimately, as, as we change our desires, then it, 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 it takes the position of our heart and it turns it away from the world, right? To be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And it turns towards heaven. And as we become friends with God, then our treasure will be found in heaven and that will, that will drive our heart and then our heart will drive our behavior. Well, the heart is so important. I, I think about um, in Revelation chapter 3, in, in early Revelation, I, I don't think it's all in chapter 3, there's these churches, these seven churches that, um, uh, that Jesus is speaking to through John. And he says, you know, tell this church this and tell this church this and tell this church this. Well, one of the churches is Laodicea. And Laodicea is getting rebuked by God for being kind of half in and half out. The word that the Bible uses is lukewarm. And ultimately he says, repent and be zealous. But after he, he, he accuses them of lukewarmness and says that if something doesn't change, he's going to spit them out of his mouth. And before he tells them to uh, repent and be zealous, he says these words to them. And I think maybe the issue of the Laodicean church was that they allowed the desires of their heart to move from God to the world. And that's where their lukewarmness may have come from. He, he says to, to, to this church at Laodicea, he says, because you say, see, this is their perception of themselves. I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So my guess is they were rich. My guess is that, that from the perspective of the world, they were stinking rich. They had everything that they needed. They couldn't imagine needing God for anything. And, and their treasures were the kind of treasures like, like Solomon's treasures, right? The temple was, I mean, it was, it was the most unbelievable thing that mankind had ever built with gold everywhere and all these things. It just you know, cost a jillion dollars and years and years and years to build. But when Israel got uh, totally disobedient towards the Lord, the Lord let these other nations come in and steal all the gold and tear down the temple. And, and it wasn't something that they could hold on to. It was earthly and not heavenly. I think maybe that's what happened to the Laodicean church. They figured out how to get stuff. And then the stuff started to become their God. And they became lukewarm towards God. But God looks down and he says, you got to understand, that's all junk. It, in heaven, all that gold that you covet on earth, it's, it's like the lowest material they got, and they just cover the floor with it. It's what the road is made out of. It, it's so invaluable. Can you imagine what's more valuable, right? To hear if you had 10 pounds of gold, you got it made. But you don't really, because it can be stolen. It can be taken from you. My house is paid for. Guess what happens if I don't pay my taxes? Becomes Argentine's house. Because if it was mine, they couldn't take it from me. But they can, right? The bank can't get it. But the township can, if I don't meet their tax obligation, I don't own it. Even the paper says I own it, but I don't own it. If I owned it, they couldn't take it from me, but they can. But the treasure I have in heaven, that's there to stay. Yeah. Read on. I just got a reminder, there's an offering today for the adoption fund. Came right up here in the middle of my sermon. <laughs> a little late, iPad. <laughs> Jesus looks at them with all their earthly riches and the way he sees, what he sees is that they are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind and naked. He says, I advise you to buy from me, Jesus, gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I say I have to anoint your eyes so that you may see. See, that's the kingdom 
treasure. The white garment is righteousness. It's like, put that white garment on, that robe of righteousness. Now you're rich. We move on, and, and he says, from, from where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart, the biblical heart, it's a, it's, it's a concept that I, I don't totally think my mind can wrap around very well because I, I think of my you know, tangible things, but the, the biblical heart is not so tangible. It's the essence of who we are. It's our soul, but it's not limited as our soul. It's our will. It's, it's, it's our desires. Our, it, it's, it's what drives us is our heart. Okay? So Luke um, 6, verse 45 reads, The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. I think King James says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what gets into your heart is going to find its way out, whether it be good or whether it be bad. From from what abounds in your heart, your mouth is going to speak. Your behavior, your actions are going to be driven. In uh, Mark chapter 7, kind of a parallel scripture, 18 to 23, and he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as all deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these th- evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Proverbs 4.23 reads, in, in my New American Standard, it says, watch over, and I think the King James says guard, watch over, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart with all diligence. Watch over your heart. Why? Because the, the wellsprings of life are flowing from your heart. They're always flowing from your heart. For the evil man, the person who has allowed his heart to be filled with evil, that spring is nasty. It's defiled. It's, it's ugly. And, and the fruit that's produced from the evil heart is, is bad fruit. But from the good man, the one whose heart has been nurtured and filled up with good things, then, then good follows good. It's almost like a, a sowing and reaping kind of thing. People, I've heard so many times, and I, and I think it's a mis... Matter of fact, I'm confident it's a misquotation of this scripture. They say, guard your heart. Like, you know, so-and-so said such-and-such. I'm not having any relationship with that person. They hurt me. And, and it's okay because the Bible says to guard your heart. But he's not talking about that. See, when you guard your heart in that way... Now, you don't have to, you don't have to keep exposing yourself to somebody that abuses you. That's not what I'm saying. But, but love flows from your heart. Love is received into your heart. So when a person thinks the scripture is teaching them to guard their heart, what they're actually doing is being led not to love and not to receive love. So, so if, if in your mind your thought is because you've been hurt, and it hurts to be hurt, right? Nobody wants to get hurt again. You kind of say, oh, I learned a lesson. It hurt me so bad. How many times have people said, I left the church because I got hurt? It's like, well, you're going to get hurt. Because it's a hospital. All the spots and all the wrinkles aren't gone yet. And as soon as one of us gets perfect, evangelism works and another one comes in that's not perfect. You can't hide yourself from other people under the pretext of guarding your heart because you will not love. 
And worse, maybe even you won't receive love. You guard your heart from the things that will damage your heart in such a way that the fruit of your heart is going to be bad and not good. This is where I would have switched the scriptures around. Um, Psalm 37, 3 through 5 reads, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to, to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will do what? He will give you the desires of your heart. When? When you delight yourself in the Lord. To delight means to find your pleasure. So if I'm into video games, you know, and, and, and I delight in video games, I find all my pleasure in video games, or I find all my pleasure in watching football games, and all those kinds of things, it doesn't drive God to fulfill the desires of my heart. If I, I don't know exactly how to speak this because I don't know exactly how to do it, to find that the Lord would be the only place I find my pleasure. If I were to find all my pleasure in the Lord, then he will give me the desires of my life or, or of my heart because, as we're going to find out in the next set of verses, it's where I look. It's where I look that feeds my heart. So when we can get to that place of de- delighting ourselves in the Lord, and, and I swear I tried to find a connection of delight, like it, 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 the, the eyes are the light, you know, the windows, and, and the word light is so powerful when it's connected to the heart, and he says delight yourself in the Lord, but it turns out I don't think it means anything other than that's the way the word delight is spelled, but <laughs> why did I say that then? I don't know, Dory, leave me be. <laughs> It's a light conversation. Thank you, Mike. You're a blessing. Delight yourself in the Lord. Okay, so let's move on. So the, the last piece was, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he goes on, and the scripture says, and this is the one that, I'm, that I wrestle with a little bit. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? See, there's, there's natural eyes, right? My natural eyes, are, are, they're a window that receives light, reflected light into my eyes. And then somehow in the optic nerve, the, they get turned into these little signal things that go to my brain, and my brain knows how to interpret them in such a way that I can see naturally. The same is true with our spiritual eyes. What we gaze upon spiritually with our eyes, even with our natural eyes, right? We all know junk in, junk out. If I look at things I shouldn't look at, I'm depositing in my heart trash that shouldn't be there, that, that, would, that isn't delighting in the Lord. But if I look with my natural eyes on things that are delightful, that are, that are of the Lord, then it puts good things down into my heart. The same is true with our spiritual eyes. And this is the part where I'm, I, feel like, I feel like I understand, but... But the scripture doesn't exactly say it this way because I think he's, he's using a metaphor. Is that the right word, metaphor? I'm looking at you. Metaphor? Metaphor. Paint a picture with our natural eyes, right? But, but our spiritual eyes, it's like, what do we allow inside our mind, right? Oh, I'm just a wretched, horrible person, and, you know, I can't do anything right. That's getting into your heart because you're, you're holding on to something that's not from heaven. I pray this prayer. Matter of fact, I had Brittany, pure-hearted young lady. I said, just pray. I don't, I don't want any thoughts that are my own. I don't want a single thought that doesn't emanate, that doesn't come from heaven. And God, I'm telling you, with my words, I, I am a free will person. I have my own will. 
I'm telling you with my will, I give you my heart. I don't want to put anything in my heart that you wouldn't put in there. I don't want, I don't want to have original thoughts. I don't, I don't want to have my own thoughts. I just want to have your thoughts. And then your thoughts, your heavenly perspective, get into this heart, and then I become the person you want me to be because I act out of, I speak out of the abundance that's in my heart. I want your thoughts. I want your heart to be my heart. I don't want to have any personal part in this whole thing because I also understand that the part of me that's person, that's unique, is beautiful. It's awesome. It's, it's God-ordained. It's thousands and millions of thoughts, more than there are grains of sand, to make me who I am, the part of me that God made, not the spotty, wrinkly part, the part that God made. Ephesians 1.18 sort of speaks to that. I pray, Paul, praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That, that, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That the, that the light that shines through the eyes of your heart would be such that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The second half part could be anything. right? Paul chose by the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, to use those words. But he could use any words. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will see yourself in the way that your Lord sees you. Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. But there's, a, there's an enlightening that happens, that, that the eyes of your heart, whether it's through your thoughts, being heavenly thoughts, thoughts that are inspired by Scripture, or demonic thoughts that would tear you down and tell you different than what Jesus is. He's saying, don't let that enlighten your heart because that light, it's not like the absence of light equal darkness in this context. That light is darkness. So don't paint your heart with darkness because then how great is the darkness that's in you? Paint your heart only with light, with truth. Philippians 4.8 is a really excellent verse that will help us to understand that mental part of the enlightenment of our heart. See, Paul is talking earlier in this, he talks about, don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about anything. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Why didn't I put that in here? I don't know. That's good scripture. Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's teaching us a process. And then, now that you've done that, now that you've, you've given over to him those things that you fear, that give you anxiety, you've given them to him, how do you keep the other things out? How do you stay in that place? He tells us in 4.8, Finally, brethren, now that you understand all that, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Set your mind, Colossians uh, 3, 2, set your mind, set it there, put it there, place your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Don't set your mind on how am I going to get this gold because someone can take it from you, right? The root of every kind of evil or all kinds of evil is the, is the lust after riches, letting mammon be your God. You can't serve them both. Set your mind someplace else. See, that's why it's so important that you have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit because he is always speaking to us the contrary of what the devil is speaking to us. When, when that shiny gold that you would covet on this earth starts to enamor you, the devil is help, helping that process and the Holy Spirit is saying, no, it's not real. There's no eternal value. Don't covet that gold. Covet the treasure that will be stored for you in heaven. Without an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, 
for some reason, maybe because of our fallen sin nature when we're born, we have an ear that seems to hear the devil really good, but doesn't always hear the still small voice of the Lord. So you have to cultivate your ability to hear. How do you do it? You read your Bible because he will always agree with the word that's in your Bible. You pray. And when you pray, you come to learn to hear. And when you worship, I hear God more when I worship by myself so much more clearly than any other time, even more so than just reading the word. We guard our hearts by disciplining our eyes and the eyes of our minds to only look at those things which are lovely and true and have excellence in them. I haven't, the the next verse that comes is 24. No one can serve two masters. For he, he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. I think I will touch that one after I go back through this whole thing. I don't know if it's confusing to you. I, I had myself confused when I finally just threw my hands in the air last night and said, it's as ready as it's going to be. You know, Holy Spirit, you'll just have to work this so that people's, hearts and their minds can get what you're saying. So let's just start at the beginning and work our way down. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will be noticed by men. But uh, not by men, excuse me, not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in heaven. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. The kind of treasure that would be the accolades, the adoration, the the compliments that you specifically solicited, right? The motive of your heart was to get. Don't store those up. Oh, you're the best prayer ever. Oh, look at you fasting again. Yeah, well, you just fasted yesterday. How did you know that? Well, because you told me. You know, those those kind of treasures... Those kind of treasures are the treasures that we don't store up, okay? That's, that's the tie-in to these things. When you pray, when you fast, when you do your righteousness, do it in secret so that you can have a reward that nobody can take away from you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we have to come to this place of trust. Remember I said, the more that you move your trust towards God, the desires will change from earthly treasures to heavenly treasures. We have to make a decision, a conscious decision of what we're going to treasure. What are we going to go and try to attain? Heavenly treasures or earthly treasures? Heavenly treasures require faith, right? Until maybe you get the first one. Then they require a little less faith. And then the second one, a little less faith because the manifestation of the kingdom on earth, remember, as he is in heaven, so are we here on earth. As the kingdom manifests in and about us, that's treasure. First time you pray for somebody and you see them get healed, Right now. I mean, you don't even have to have any faith to wait and wonder if it happened. It happens right now. Man, that's treasure. First time you speak the truth into somebody who's tormented by lies and the lights come on and the truth is illuminated and the lie gets cast down and and they go from despair to joy. Oh my gosh, is that... I mean, that's treasure now that's also treasure in heaven. So we have to make a decision. 
And the decision is that I'm going to stop seeking after earthly treasures. And I'm going to focus my life to do, it was on the front of the bulletin, let, the, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and, uh, and bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I think I just answered. I think I just spoke to that. It's, it's where we choose to look. It's what we choose to think about. Do we choose to think about things that are heavenly and are true? Or do we choose to entertain ourselves or, or in some other way be defiled by things that are untrue, but tasty, right? I mean, you can look at stuff. You can, I'm just looking for children. You, you, you can look at things that you shouldn't look at. I mean, I know I have this experience as a man, and I can find some kind of sick pleasure in it, right? Sin tastes good. It feels good. But all it does is defile me. So I have to decide not to look and put myself in a place where I'm not even going to be tempted to look. Because even, even when the thing that I, I'm, not even, I'm not even chasing after, but it finds its way into my sight, I'm tempted to look. I Seriously, I'm tempted to look. So I have to be conscious not to place myself in situations where that sinful temptation is going to enter through the eyes of my mind, even as thoughts, and get in and defile my heart. And then what comes out of me is not light but darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Honestly, I think that that particular verse could end with, you cannot serve God and, put an underline, fill in the blank. Because earlier, really what he's talking about is serving yourself, right? I want you to know that I'm fasting. So that you'll tell me, I was the king of getting you to tell me how wonderful I was. Seriously, so insecure that I learned how to manipulate, which is witchcraft, how to manipulate people to tell me I'm wonderful. I was the best because I was so insecure. I needed people to tell me, tell me I'm good, tell me I'm good, tell me you love me, tell me how wonderful I am, to, to, to fix against that need. We can't serve ourselves by getting other people to tell us how wonderful we are in our righteousness, in our praying, in our fasting. We have to decide who is going to be our God. I want to read to you. I'm going to start, I think next week's it's going to start exactly how this week ended. Um, give me just a minute. Hello? Matthew chapter, oops, chapter 6, the next batch of verses start out this way. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. What are you going to eat? I'm worried about that. I don't know what I'm going to eat. Or what are you going to wear? He says, don't worry about that. But he starts it off before he says, he says, for this reason. What's the reason? Well, it's the last verse that we just finished. You can't serve God in wealth. And the problem is, when you start to submit yourself to the fear of what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, you start to serve wealth as the means to meet your need. It was revelation for me when God showed that to me. It's like, 
I, I would read by these scriptures, and the ones I didn't get, I just keep reading because, you know, I got stuff over time. God didn't illuminate it for me. But now I have to study it to get it. And I'm like, wow, it starts off with for this reason. What's the reason? Back here, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, it does make sense that I will serve mammon, I will serve wealth if I don't trust God to meet my needs. I will, I will order my steps in such a way that my needs will get met in ways that I can't really count on. Because someone can take my house away. Someone can take my car away. Someone can get my identity and steal my money out of the bank. For that reason. The reason that you're going to find next week, which you know, lots of you probably already know, God says that your job is to be about him. And as you do your job, not worrying about what you're going to eat, he, excuse me, he will be about seeing that you got food to eat. Amen. Yeah. Can I take just one minute? And it's like, it's like, I got this little bit of scripture. It's called bonus heart stuff. I didn't know if I'd have a minute to talk about, but I want to, because I've heard so many people talk about the heart and the heart being the center of who we are. And, and the devil using scripture out of context with the whole of scripture to get us to see ourselves in a way that's not how God says we are. And, and the particular heart scripture is Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So when, when we would tell somebody, hey, you know, you're beautiful and you're wonderful, and they, they would grab onto this thing. I've had people do it. They're like, no, no, you don't understand. That heart is the sickest, most deceitful thing. And it is until it's regenerated by God. Until it's changed. It's not your state forever. It's your state before. It's not your state now. Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Well, we wouldn't have that scripture to pray. Create in me, God, a clean heart if it wasn't possible to have anything but this nasty, defiled heart. Now, mark this day down in your calendar. Pat Brady is preaching out of Ezekiel. Yeah, don't think too much of it, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) Ezekiel 18, verse 31. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 11, 19 through 21. And I will give them one heart and put in them and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord God. Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship. Can I tell you God doesn't work a deceitful, evil heart? It's not in him. He wouldn't know how to make an evil heart. Couldn't do it if he tried. It's just not part of who he is. We are God's workmanship. Not before, but we are, but not the evil part that has to be regenerated and restored. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we will walk in them. So if you live in any way, shape, or form under this deception that there's no way that you can be good, and that scripture in Jeremiah teaches you that your heart is deceitful and evil beyond all things, it's just not true. 
if Jesus is Lord of your life, if you by faith have believed in him as the absolute full payment for your sin debt to God, and he, through your confession of faith, your confession of Jesus as Lord, has deposited inside you his spirit, that is not who Jeremiah is talking about. Amen? Amen. All right. Did that make sense to you today? Seriously? I mean, you're not just being nice to me. Thank you. Okay. Good. It makes sense to me, but it's so hard for me to get there. So it's like, there's so much in there. I mean, I, all my, you know, my long life of being a Christian, 12 years next month, um, I've just read little bits, long time of little bits, just a little bit, just a little, you know, just a thought, a thought, a thought, a thought, a thought without ever finding the thread that's going through the whole thing. And, and now, because I have to, it's just him shaping this little jar of clay, I have to search out the bigger thought because I just do. It's growing me up. He, he's turning me from a baby, baby, baby to just like I'm a toddler baby now, and I'm starting to be enlightened by the scriptures, by finance threads. They have to seek them out. He, he hides from us things, not so we can't have them, but that we'll pursue finding them. Because, because if you've got to dig for something, you don't forget about it quickly. You hold on to it. It's, it's written in you because you earned it. You worked for it. Amen. Thank you. Well, Lord, thank you for this day. And thank you for these people. I pray, God, that the only God in our lives would be you, the great I am, the God of the Bible. And that your truth will permeate every thought that tries to get into our minds. And any thought that doesn't agree with your truth, Lord, that our shield of faith will capture that thought because it's from the enemy and extinguish that fiery dart, that flaming arrow, before it gets in there. But if it does, that we will have such intimacy with your spirit that we will take it captive and we will cast it down. And we won't allow any of that poison to be what enlightens our hearts. Because from the abundance of our hearts, our mouths will speak and our actions will be driven. And we want only pure words, only righteous actions. For the righteous man is the one who practices righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that we can be righteous. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to sin. That there is no force of hell. There is no demonic force that can make us sin. We may stumble and we may choose, but we are never never overwhelmed by sin because we are the slave of the master whose name is righteousness. I ask, Lord, that you would use us during the course of this week as vessels, as ambassadors for heaven, speaking as though we were speaking the words of God himself to this world that needs to know you, Lord, and to one another who need to be encouraged that the body of Christ would be lifted up and built up and strengthened and encouraged in your word and in your heart and in your love and in your discipline and in your truth. In every way, in Jesus' name.